This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Wendy Hurd, and I'm here with Kristen LePianca. Hello. And Lane Fargo. Hello. So, we're officially in year two of the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's good. (sighs) So what are you guys doing to survive during year two? I went to a restaurant last night, but okay, here's what, here's what happened. It was, um, this restaurant in the West loop in Chicago, which if you're not familiar with Chicago, is like the neighborhood with all the like cute, fancy restaurants. Um, and so we went to this place called the darling that had outside. They had, the restaurant is open. Like there is indoor dining now, but would they have this thing set up outside kind of on the sidewalk? That's like a little garden that has, tiny little like two-person igloos that you can go in with and uh, shut the door and then you order your food on your phone and they just like bring your your food out and you put your mask on and they like pass it through the door (laughs) and then you close it again and you're in your tiny little like romantic igloo it was lovely and it felt very safe because it was so you know like it was just me and my partner and there was like a door between us and the outside world and um yeah, it was it was like a good way to dip my toe back in the going out waters, but it was like, oh, there's like other people around and there are people walking by on the street outside and I felt myself getting really overwhelmed. I was like, there's so much more like noise and action and like I'm just used to my house. <laughs> I can't deal yeah. with anything anymore. <laughs> I keep feeling like when <clears throat> once life has resumed like in a normal way, it's going to be like am I going to like it? Because <laughs> it's been just so quiet. Like I had a doctor's appointment like two months ago and just going to the doctor's office, like there were so many sounds and people making noise and motions. And like, I was there for 45 minutes, but it was like, it was really intense. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I kind of like it in here with my cats. <laughs> like we're all nervous little dogs, like out in the world now. It's like, wait, yeah. what was that sound? What's going on? Do I need to bark yeah. at it? I don't know. <laughs> wow yeah what about you wendy i actually am starting a new job um i'm transitioning my day job to i got like a promotion actually 
So we're very excited because your new job sounds like such a boss bitch job, which you deserve <laughs> because you're a boss bitch. Well, thank you. I, I'm excited. I, I don't I don't really talk about my day job um, on any of the writing stuff, um, but I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be great. Like it's a very, very exciting opportunity. I It's going to be more, I think, hours, like more time. But it's also right down the street, so I'm not going to waste, like, 10 hours a week commuting. So, uh, so yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, your commutes before sounded terrible. I mean, back when people yes. did things like commute in yeah. the olden I'm, days. I used to go places. <laughs> yeah, so this episode of the podcast, we are going to talk about Wendy's new book, She's Too Pretty to Burn, which comes out on the 30th of March. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And so we wanted to do that both because here at Unlikable Female Characters, we believe in bold self-promotion and just like talking about how awesome your own work is like a mediocre white man would, except our work is actually good. (laughs) (laughs) So we believe in this. We want to like live our principles by featuring Wendy's book, but also because of um, because Wendy's new job is going to be so time consuming. You're going to have to take a little step back so you won't be around as much. So we're going to miss you so much. (laughs) Yes, we are. (laughs) I haven't let myself. I've been just so busy. I haven't really let myself like feel it. But when we were talking right before we started recording, I was just like, oh, it hurts inside my stomach I'm gonna miss you so much um so I look forward to you know coming back but yeah I have to I have to step back a little bit I think um I need to clear some things out you know with writing it's so easy to be so busy with your writing career but then you're like how many days how many hours a day am I actually just writing you know what I mean like yeah you know and so it's it's one of those things sometimes where it's like in order to make space for the writing sometimes you have to clear out some of the other things that you actually maybe enjoy a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we wanted to give wendy an amazing send-off and talk about her book and also like i mean you're gonna be back i think oh yeah you'll be back as a guest if nothing else and i mean we'll see like i think the one thing we've all learned in the past year is that you can't predict the future even like a few months down the line just have to leave it all up to chance and uh yep (laughs) So yeah, so this is my young adult debut, which is funny to, um, like, it feels unfair to be like, I'm a debut, because like, come on, I have two books out, I've been through this twice, <clears throat> but it's it's very different. The young adult publishing world is, it's a very all new world for me, you know, it's it's like each, if you're not in the publishing world and you listen to this podcast, um, it's like each publishing world has its own culture, kind of, like there's science fiction, Adult has its own culture. Fantasy has its own culture. Thriller is kind of its own thing. And then from fiction, you know, and then like young adult, it's sort of its own very uh, specific publishing culture. So it's been interesting to like get to know that. And I already had a lot of friends in there and um, my agent represents a lot of YA. So it, it was an easy transition. But but yeah, it's been it's been really fun. I, I actually really like the YA book culture. They're very um, effusive. <laughs> no they're like that is not a word i would use to describe adult publishing at no. all no <laughs> they're like if they're excited they're on twitter excited with you you know everyone's very like kind of like it's almost like turning up the emotional volume on everything uh, mm. for better and worse so that's been kind of fun you know i i've been getting more um you know interaction and stuff uh so yeah and the book designer of my of my young adult book i mean mallory grigg is her name and you saw the book i mean she did such a hell of a job on this book cover. 
Yeah, everyone needs to go to Wendy's Instagram and see. Well, I mean, buy the book, obviously, but while you're <laughs> waiting for it to arrive, um, <laughs> I think this this is this one's going to come out a few days before it's actually released. So yeah. Anyway, go to Wendy's Instagram and look at not just the cover, but the interior design of this book it's is so, so cool. gorgeous. I remember when you sent me the PDF of that like way back mm-hmm. when you first saw it. I was like dying over how beautiful it is. And also, I should say, I I, I ordered a lot of um, I I custom ordered character art because I was so excited to be a young adult where you actually do these like cool pre-order campaigns where you distribute uh character cards and i got these beautiful character cards uh done and they're just so cool so if you do pre-order uh go to my website wendyherd.com and you can get yourself some uh some artwork for free really nice i feel like we should do that in adults like, i know that's like one of the things i'm most jealous of when i Me look too. at YA writers i'm yeah. just like why can't we have fun mm-hmm. swag but like no one would care an adult right like, i know <laughs> Here are, know. you know, beautiful pictures of my characters and people would be like, I, <laughs> I know people would be like, but what is it? Like, yeah, it's just, just, it's exciting. Come on. Yeah. You're like you can use it as a bookmark or whatever you want to do with it. And they're like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's been really fun. Um, So the book is a, it's a Dorian Gray reimagining and the jumping off concept was like Dorian Gray, but with photography. And um, it was like, <clears throat> what if Dorian Gray was a teenage girl? And what if instead of a portrait, it was a social media photograph? Like, what if social media was the magic that um, sustained this picture? And so that's kind of what the book is about. But then, of course, it's me. So it's very murdery. And it's like one of those things where it's like, what if Dorian Gray was actually scary and like dark and like pacey, you know, because... And also, what if Oscar Wilde wasn't around to say all sorts of misogynistic things about women? Like, women are mostly decorative. (laughs) and stuff that he says so there was a little bit of like a little bit of like me being like ha 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 this is about girls oscar wilde you hate us so here you go you and be- your book has a plot and oscar wilde doesn't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> things happen in his book they just aren't sure. tied together in a stream of cohesive narrative I love the picture of Dorian Gray and I've read it many times, but every time I read it, like the older I get, like as I read it, I'm just like, wow, there's just, this is just a vehicle for him to like say things yep. he thinks are clever yeah. for page after page after page. <laughs> it's like he took his diary full of like quotes that he, it was like, quote yourself. And he had a <laughs> whole diary full of those and he just like worked them into scenes. Can you imagine Oscar Wilde on social media? Like, oh god, oh my god, that would. Oh, he would fight. He would just like fight everyone. I think he would just be getting in arguments constantly. Agreed. I mean, yeah. Ugh. And we say this with love for Oscar Wilde we because do, yes. <laughs> I love Oscar Wilde, and I, I love, I obviously love this book. I love mm-hmm. the picture of Dorian Gray, but um, yeah, it is. It's hard. It's confusing. It's like yet one of the many uh, books by men that are confusing for me to read because it's like, I love this. I am not a part of this. Like you are quite <laughs> hostile to me. Right. And yet, you know what I mean? Like I I am clearly not meant to care about this. You did not write this for me, but mm-hmm. I like it, you know? Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the main characters in Pretty to Burn? So, yeah. So it was really important to me. This was a big thing that, and my agent and I talked about this a lot because it, it's really important to note that with Dorian Gray being the main character and the muse and the beautiful, all these questions about vanity and everything 
you know, are much more fraught when told through the lens of a girl, mm-hmm. a teenage girl, you know, in social media, because teenage girls just get so much heat for any hint that they might be vain or conceited or any hint that they might, you know, and we're so hard on them. Like if she's a girl who's pretty, but doesn't know she's pretty, we're mad at that. But if she's pretty and knows she's pretty, we're mad at that. But if she's not pretty and has low self-esteem, we're mad at that. But if she's not pretty and has high self-esteem, we're mad at that. So it's just very hard to know how to be with your uh, physical being as a teenage girl, I think. Like how there's not a lot of like feeling that I'm doing it right, I don't think. It's very hard to feel like you're doing it right. It's a lot of the same issues that we talked about in the vain woman episode, right. except like when you're a teenage girl, you're just learning all these things for the first time and you just like don't know what the fuck you're doing at all. Yeah. And so it's even worse. It's just even harder. Yeah. And then also considering that, you know, you have, you know, your body is changing in ways that suddenly the world is looking at you differently. You know, like maybe you, your body has now gone from looking like a girl to looking like a woman. Mm-hmm. And you, so now suddenly you can't walk down the street. You know, and that's kind of like a new, I remember that being um, really weird as a teenage girl. I felt like everybody wanted to suddenly like see me, like see my body. Mm -hmm. It was very disturbing. And so I wanted to really write about that. Like I really wanted to explore that feeling of feeling um, intruded upon. The main Mm -hmm. character, Mick, is an athlete and she... um, She's been swimming her whole life. And I, I know that life well because my cousins were both swimmers in Orange County. And so I chose a swimmer in San Diego because I could kind of steal from the stuff I had learned from them. <clears throat> and, you know, a swimmer is like it's a hardcore athlete. You, you work, you swim six or seven days a week. You know, you eat like a pig, like you can't get enough calories. You're just you're you're so hungry all the time. And, you know, you're just so focused in like a laser on this sport. And so you're just like always hungry and always exercising all the time. And so to suddenly to live in that world where your whole life is about, that's kind of how your body works. Like you're either feeding it or you're exercising it. That's your relationship with your body. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. but then to suddenly have it become this like hyper-sexualized object that everybody around you is like, you should wear this. You should do that. What a waste. You're not showing off this. Or, you know, suddenly the, the... the muscles that you've been sort of training to do this job are the focus of like very sexual attraction. Yeah. I thought it was interesting about Mick because like she is, she hates having her photo taken. She basically just like doesn't want to be perceived, um, which relatable, <laughs> but yes. it's not a low self-esteem, like, Oh my God, I'm so fat and ugly or whatever. Like the thing no. that we kind of think of and, and that many of us feel as teenagers um, it's not about that at all. And I thought that was really well done, like showing a completely different and valid reason why someone wouldn't want their photo taken. So I'll tell you guys this, and I feel comfortable talking about this on this podcast, maybe only, this is probably like the only place I'll talk about this, <clears throat> but Mick's fear of photography is autobiographical. I have a fear of being photographed that has haunted me since I was a child. And hmm. I really, really hate having my picture taken. Like I don't, Every time I see myself, I hyper-focus on all these things that are wrong with me. And then I just get filled with this terror and fear of like that people will see it at all. I hate having my picture taken. I don't like it when I'm at a conference and people are snapping pictures. I get anxious feeling that, oh God, what are the people going to post after a book event on social media? 
I, I've gotten a lot better about it. I've, I have a close friend who goes through the same thing and we've actually like supported each other. And actually this has gotten a lot better. Um, I think exposure therapy, because now that I have, I'm an author, I get, there's so much, so many times your picture just gets taken. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have never written about it before because I felt like it's just such a hard thing to describe. Like it's a hard thing to describe because it's not like I was traumatized by a photograph and now I'm afraid <laughs> of photographs. It's not like that. You're just, for some reason afraid of this thing um and you don't always know why you have aversions to things sometimes you just do like lane you've never been bitten by a snake but you're scared of snakes right you know that's just like i don't know good evolutionary sense as far as i'm concerned <laughs> i guess but like i've actually like hiked seen rattlesnakes you know vita stepped yeah. on one one time like i had to save vita from a rattlesnake one time and you know i'm not as scared of snakes you know mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that is interesting. I always thought I wasn't like, I don't know that I didn't care that much about having photos taken of myself or anything until I became an author. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, you just see all of these random candid photos mm-hmm. and it is horrifying. I had a lot yeah, of like, yeah, you're like talking about mm-hmm. your book a lot. So your mouth is open and you're making weird faces and your hands are like doing what the fuck. Like <laughs> it's, there, <laughs> it's a lot of bad pictures get taken of you when you're like doing a book event is just mm-hmm. I mean, yeah I, I have yet to meet someone who always looks amazing in their book event photos because it's just an awkward thing to be like talking and moving and have that moment yeah. captured yeah I had like a video that they my publisher did of me that I had like a full like breakdown when I saw just oh I remember was, this I, and I like <laughs> I made them edit it I mean I like have never thought that I would have an issue with anything like that and I had a full like like I am not a person I don't even own a scale I don't like yeah obsess about my body and I saw this video and then I was like crying like googling weight loss tips oh like my it was yeah and I was like what the fuck is happening to me like it really messes with your head it does yeah <clears throat> yeah so there's that feeling like you said like just not wanting to be perceived like I just don't yeah. want to be captured it's like a feeling of like I don't want it on record what I look like it's a very specific and strange feeling right I thought a lot of women would be able to relate to it Mm -hmm. totally yeah yeah but then Mick falls for a girl who's a photographer so thus the conflict is born (laughs) (laughs) and the photographer takes one look at her and finds Mick so interesting looking and so Mick has entered this phase of her life where she's grown into being I always picture Mick as being like awkward looking in middle school because she kind of has like really heavy brows and like a high bridged nose and like dark eyes. And she's got kind of like resting bitch face and she's sort of like just a little glowery looking, you know, and Mm -hmm. then this kind of morphs into this very beautiful, you know, unconventionally beautiful teenage girl. And so suddenly everyone's like, oh, my God, you're so beautiful. And she's been living with her mom her whole life, who is an actual like working model which I'm, I was hoping that, that people would understand that's probably where Mick's fear of photography has come from, is being this sort of awkward-looking daughter of this working model, you know, mm-hmm. and um, who's always trying to get her to be more attractive and, like, kind of fit into this mold more. And then Veronica wants to take her picture so badly, and Mick kind of starts going along with things that don't make her totally comfortable. And that's something I really wanted to talk about is, like, consent and like all the blurry edges of consent it's not only about sexual consent which is there's no issues with that in the book but it's like emotional consent you know feel even if someone's not like outwardly pressuring you but feeling that pressure and like trying Mm -hmm. to you know 
and doing things that you don't feel comfortable with just because you feel like you're making too much of a fuss to put your foot down about something. Like I'm being unreasonable. I should just go along. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they end up in this very awful spiral. Mm-hmm. But Nico's my favorite character. Oh, you know, he's my favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> like a bad feminist. I'm like, enough about the girls. Let's yeah. talk about Nico. <laughs> Nico is the third person. Nico is Sir Henry. And he's this like aspiring Banksy type of artist. He does these big installations that are super disruptive. And um, he's, you know, he takes one look at Mick and he thinks, you're someone who's like about to lose it. Like Mick's in the middle of, about, you know, she's on the verge of homelessness. She like loses her relationship with her mother. And he's like, you're really interesting. I can get you to do all kinds of interesting things, can't I? And so this turns into like a weird triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love him and he's never done anything wrong in his life. <laughs> <laughs> Lane's so happy that Nico's 19 because she can think he's hot. I thank you for that. <laughs> I think Nico's hot too. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing I didn't meet a Nico when I was that age. Oh yeah, right. Oh my god. <laughs> Ooh, yikes! Bad. That would have been bad. But I love that. Um, the like his approach to art is very like he's doing these really interesting visual art installations. But like part of his artwork is also manipulating people, and you know I like that. There's this thing he says. Um, at one point in the book, where he says, "Is chaos a thing you can install?" You know what I think it is. <laughs> Mm. And I love Nick. I love Nico for that. I love that Nico thinks that chaos, that art, chaos is art that he can install. And like his idea of installation goes so much farther than art. Like you said, it's like installing himself into people, installing people into mm-hmm. situations, you know, like being the puppet master. Well, here's a question I've never asked you before that I'm interested in the answer to. Why did you decide to make that character male? Like, did you ever think about that, like that character being a woman as well? Or was it always a male character? I thought it would be really interesting to set up a triangle where there was a male character in the triangle, but it wasn't a love triangle, like Mm -hmm. where it was just him manipulating. And it was the instead of sex, it was power. And I just thought that would be so interesting, especially given that he and Veronica are, you know, cis male cis woman cis, cis boy cis girl but they're friends in the original um draft of that book they were like friends who also had sex sometimes they were just mm-hmm. like friends but they that I, I really wanted to play on this like you know um bohemian like we're so like we're so artsy we don't care that like veronica has sort of been lured into by him a little bit mm-hmm. but um that got cut okay yeah i originally wanted to like make that i thought that was kind of an interesting uh just relationship between them if they were like also sex partners sometimes like it just sort of like friends with benefits um Mm -hmm. like you I like to I I find that interesting friendships where that works like in temper yeah I've gotten a lot of heat for that in temper so I wonder what the reaction would have been like with teenage characters I think it would have been bad because it it got pretty (laughs) unanimously cut (laughs) (laughs) yeah people find that so like in temper they find that so controversial like even more than all of the like there's like a psychopath manipulating people into like oh yeah their wrists for like art and whatever and people are like well but this girl who sleeps with her roommate sometimes I'm just like really yeah (laughs) that is so bizarre that like that is an element that that draws ire like why Mm -hmm. I, I I don't know. People are confused by it, I think. People just, like, don't yeah. understand. Like, I even got some editor passes where they were like, I don't 
understand like they're not a couple but she's like jealous when he is with someone else and i'm like yeah humans are messy like what mm-hmm. <laughs> They're fucked up. Like, what do you want from me? (laughs) Yeah. And that kind of like, you know, that messiness is something that I think all three of us, we find a lot of, we have a lot of space for that mentally. Like, we're interested in characters that are messy because people Mm -hmm. are messy. And I was messy as a teenager. um, And I wanted to, like, make sure that I wasn't trying to sanitize what it's like. I mean, like, for mix perspective you know in the book her mom kicks her out she's struggling with homelessness she has a lifetime of this emotionally abusive relationship with her mom and an absent father who's just gone and poverty and you know and it's like I'll get heat sometimes where it's like she's so unlikable (laughs) and I I find that I actually bothers me most with these girls than it does with any of my other characters because I'm like I'm sorry, what are you expecting? Like, what do you expect from girls? It make, I think it makes me feel defensive for teenage girls, like, that they have to just, like, at what age do we start having to be perfect? At what when, what age does right. that start? 13? Six months. Like, no. <laughs> toddlerhood? Like, when, you know. Well, and, and it's disturbing, like, if when people are in hard situations, are they not allowed to be a little bit unlikable? Like, right. when they're facing really difficult things like or do you have to face it all with a smile and a good attitude right. like mm-hmm. why why can't she be angry and like act angrily and like be mad and have and like take that out on the world like doesn't she I guess that's what I feel like doesn't she have a right to be angry um doesn't she have right. a right to not be to not have it all figured out at like the age of 17 like don't we yeah. let why is it so hard for us to let girls be messy or angry or just not have it all figured out yet. I wonder if there's a divide between like adult readers and actual young adults reading. No, I'm really interested to find out. Yeah. Cause I think there are a lot of adults who read YA. Like I read a lot of YA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think sometimes adults bring their own like expectations of human behavior or like, or sometimes people want the the book to like teach a good lesson to mm-hmm. the youths. <laughs> Which is why I will never write YA because I can't teach a good lesson to save my life. Um, <laughs> but that expectation has nothing to do with like the actual target audience of of these books. It's like adults bringing all of their own baggage and just like forgetting what they were like as teenagers. Yeah, we're all yeah. full nightmares when we were teenagers. Right? Like, if you if you say you weren't, you're lying. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would wonder if like if teenage readers even would describe a character as unlikable, like, is that even something mm-hmm. that they would perceive? I would kind of, I'm really curious, but I would kind of think no, just because like when you're in that headspace of, of youth, like it's not going to seem unlikable. It's going to seem relatable and real. I don't know. I'm really interested to see what it's like when the book starts going out to actual teenagers, you know, because I've had a lot of um, like young adult bloggers and stuff review it. But I don't know that teenagers commonly read review copies. I know that, of course, there are some teen bloggers, but I don't know that it's like a I don't at least I don't think as many teenagers um, have time for that, you know, like (laughs) do after high school. Um, But of course, Mm -hmm. there are some like and that's wonderful. But yeah, it is interesting. I, I, I find it interesting to, th- to think like 
it's like that thing where adults, when adults see what teenagers actually do and actually talk like and how they actually think, it's like they're so horrifying, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, yep. But then I think, were you a really good teenager? Like maybe I was just um, like a bad teenager. I don't know. I was like a well-behaved teenager, but I was like just a mess. Like I had these devastating crushes on inappropriate people all the time and wrote mm-hmm. like terrible poetry about them. Oh yeah, the poetry. Like oh yeah. All this <laughs> I wrote all a lot this of poetry. stuff. I forgot about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's just a lot of emotions. Um like even yeah. writing when I was writing they never learn and the 18-year-old like the second POV is an 18-year-old character and just trying to get into that headspace even though she's in college, she's still very much in that mm-hmm. teenage girl high school mindset and I was like this is exhausting. Like just it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a well-behaved teenager for the most part, but under under the well-behaved surface just a simmering sea of emotions and <laughs> imagined drama and yeah. Yeah, everything was so dramatic. Like, oh yeah, every little thing. I was gonna say, like, I feel like the teenagers we write in books are even like way less awful than the teenagers in real life. Like, I, I promise you, I was twenty times worse than the teenagers I have written in this book. Like, they are noble <laughs> and like moral people compared to you know. It's just like I was such. A, I was just. I don't know. It was just a mess, you know. I didn't have the cohesive, the coherence of the thoughts of uh, uh, most of the teenage characters I read in books. I was pretty all over the place. Mm-hmm. You just felt like twelve different feelings before yeah. breakfast, and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does seem like you'd have to tone that down a little just for like narrative consistency in a book. But then people still complain because it wouldn't make sense <laughs> if you were like just trying to write a story, but then the the main character had to take a break to listen to the same song on repeat all night long and like draw someone's name onto her thighs a hundred times <laughs> or whatever. Sometimes you got to do that. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I, it wouldn't help the story if she just laid down, like staring at the ceiling and crying while listening to dark side of the moon or something. <laughs> now you're dating yourself. <laughs> I remember discovering that and my mom coming into my room being like, what are you listening to? And I was like, my boyfriend Vlad really likes Pink Floyd. And I was like, crying Vlad, excuse me, back up. <laughs> no, it's so bad. He had a ponytail and he, no. was, he, was, a, he was a guitar player. He carried it around with him. Oh, my God. Was he, he a vampire? No. Oh, wait, listen, listen. <laughs> what I'm about to say makes it so much worse. <laughs> he had wolves. Like actual pet wolves? Yeah. What? Okay, that's cool. Wait, though. wait, wait. I would, in I would Van Nuys, just because he had pet wolves. It was in Van Nuys, like... so like his house had two wolves in it in Van Nuys. Oh my god. <laughs> no one should like have pet inside wolves, the house. Like, yeah, like they were they were his pet dogs, but they were wolves. And like just... were they were they tame? Yeah. <laughs> and they, he, he had swords on the wall. Oh my god. No. Now if you wrote that in a book, no. people would be like, okay, like this thing. <laughs> That's oh what I'm god. saying. Yes, real life is truly stranger than fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we've been friends and co- like collaborators all this time, Lady, and this is the first that you're telling well, us. Well, I had this, to hide but... it. This is my deepest shameful secret. <laughs> now, do the wolves have names? Yeah, I just can't remember them. 
They were oh, pretty um, They were pretty creative names, I remember. There was this one time <laughs> I had to go to his house after school, but then like I beat him there. And so I tried to climb over the fence. So I'm like sitting on top of the fence, like a teenager, I was always climbing over one fence or another. And like I was squatting on top of this fence, looking down at the wolves. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> right. And the wolves don't bark, like they're silent. And so I was like, I'm going to oh, jump yeah. down among the wolves and they're going to either bite me or they're not going to bite me. I was like, you guys remember me? And I, and I jumped down into the wolves and they were happy to see me. Wow. <laughs> you could have died that day. That's no, but amazing. They, were, they were nice. They were very hairy. They were always shedding and they swam in his swimming pool. I can't believe I'm remembering all what? this. <laughs> this is all very strange. <laughs> I think you have to put this in a book now. This is I good. think so. <laughs> wow. But then you're going to get all these Goodreads reviews that are like, oh, my God, this is so unbelievable. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't just jump down into the wolves. What a stupid thing to do or whatever. Like, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. As stupid as you might think my teenage characters are, I promise you, I was way stupider. <laughs> I'm like, I just... I mean, I know we're talking about your book, but right now I just want to know more about Vlad the Wolves. Like, how did he come to, to uh, how did he acquire them? Well, to be honest, he had a single mom, and I think it was like maybe a home defense kind of situation. And they had a house in Van Nuys, and the wolves, they would swim in the pool. I can't emphasize enough how much they would swim in the pool. And like, <laughs> they would get swim in the pool so much that the pool had these like hair, the edge of the pool had like hair around the edges from their fur. <laughs> Oh, this is the most amazing story I've ever heard. But he cheated on me. I was really in love with him. He cheated on me. <laughs> okay, now you you have to your next YA book is going to be about this guy and like getting revenge on him for cheating by feeding him to the wolves. You're welcome. <laughs> That's your next book. Boom! Instant plot. <laughs> wow, that I'm speechless. <laughs> This just went a place. I had no idea. <laughs> what are we going to do without you, Wendy? We don't have any stories about wolves. <laughs> I feel like when you say you grew up in L.A., people are like, that's cool. But they don't understand, like, what that means. No, I'm like, we have, like, cows. Kristen and I both grew up in Ohio, so it's like, yeah, <laughs> lots of cows. Cornfields. That's it. Well, you know. I don't know anything about jumping among the cows, so that could be dangerous, too. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, buy my book. (laughs) It doesn't have wolves, but it's very good. (laughs) Yeah, I found it really interesting, like, reading all of you. Because throughout this whole process, you've been, like, texting me early reviews and just, like, noting how many of them reference the like like unlikable likable like like these words just are recurring over and over and over in your in your good goodreads reviews like to a degree that like i haven't even seen in like my adult books which do have very unlikable quote-unquote characters and it seems like the it seems like the standard is higher or something i don't know what's going on like what do you think about that i have this weird thing that this sort of thing that came to me the other day tell me what you guys think but i was just thinking to myself like, I don't, if you, let's say you don't like mushrooms, okay? Mushrooms are something that a lot of people don't like. You would say, I don't like mushrooms. I think they're gross. 
mm-hmm. you wouldn't say mushrooms are unlikable. Mm-hmm. And so my question is like the interesting thing about the way we talk about women and female characters, which is like likability becomes um, something they're doing to me, not something I am doing to them. It's like you being unlikable is something you are doing, not like, I don't like you, which is something that I am doing. It's like an intrinsic mm, quality yeah. instead of like a choice that or a preference that some someone else has. That is interesting. There's something so much kinder about just saying, well, I just don't care for it. I didn't like these characters. I, f- I didn't find them interesting. I just don't enjoy them. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But saying this is unlikable is like you're, you're putting some right. kind of value yeah. judgment on it. Right, because that means like saying like these characters are unlikable means no one will like them. Right. It doesn't mean I didn't like them or I didn't engage with them or relate to them. It means no one could possibly like them, which is like it's very, very subjective whether a person is going to relate or respond to a specific character. Mm-hmm. Like it's very silly to act like it's simple. Like, oh, no, this person is just unlikable. Yeah. Think, think about the word unlovable. You know, Ooh, yeah, it's it's very close in meaning and it ha- carries so much more weight. Right. Like you're unlovable. It's a mean thing to say about somebody to call them unlovable. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I don't know why we feel so comfortable t- saying that women are unlikable. It feels mean. It feels like, well, you don't just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's unlikable. You know, I always feel that way when people say that about and it's almost like, do we say that about um, women in real life as much as we say that about fictional characters? I guess we say that about women like Hillary Clinton. So is it about women who are detached enough from us to not feel real? Like, do we say that about the woman in the office? I don't know. I don't think so. We would say, I don't like her. She's a bitch or whatever it is. But I don't, I don't, I've never heard anyone say it. Not about either a fictional character or a person who is like a public figure kind of like removed enough to, Mm -hmm. that is very interesting. It does seem very cruel to say, especially about a teenage girl like i found myself getting kind of (laughs) offended on their behalf too as you were sending me these reviews in a way that i would never about an adult character and i also like as your critique partner i read early versions of this book and i've read like lots of other things you've written that haven't been published yet that are like very dark and twisted so i'm reading this and i'm like this is like obviously it's a thriller plot and there's lots of dangerous things that happen but i'm like these these girls are so much nicer than like (laughs) annabelle or than you know like your other characters so um, I I love them. I want to protect them with my life. Yeah, I kind of felt that way. Like I I've I am always willing to own if I've written an unlikable female character because I like unlikable female characters. I'm not. It's not um a problem to me to say that I would write that. But I these girls feel different. It's like especially Mick. I think Veronica is she's kind of an asshole. You know, she kind of does what she wants. She's from a pretty solid background. You know, so if you want to say she's unlikable because she just kind of belligerently does whatever she wants okay you know like I guess I don't think she's very villainous like she doesn't do anything that's particularly mean I mean even the stuff with Mick where she's taking Mick's picture and posting it and stuff she thinks she has Mick's consent you know she thinks Mm -hmm. what she's doing is okay she's not like intentionally victimizing anybody or anything you know yeah and Mick gives her reason to think it's okay so it's like I I feel like okay but fine but do you know who's never been called unlikable in that book is Nico Never That's one not time. True. I saw some reviews that did say really. I never I had to talk about that. I, yeah, I don't read every review. I kind of am like, if I get tagged in something or it like floats up my radar, because that, that's interesting. I didn't think anybody had said that. 
I did a, a little word search on Goodreads to prepare for this episode because oh. I was interested. Um, and there were some people either like saying him specifically or saying like all of them, like kind of as which is interesting. Um, but I, that I found fascinating because it is so rare to see. Although, you know, I got that for. I've gotten that for my books too. People saying the male characters were unlikable, mm. but the bar that the like male characters have to, yeah, Malcolm, like, oh, the psychopath is unlikable. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> like the bar is so much. I mean, we've talked about this many times, but like the things that men have to do to be put in that category is like murder and manipulation and like really awful shit where a woman just like didn't smile or, or you know, it's <laughs> right. I feel like it all takes us into this thing that crime fiction writers get a, get into a lot, which is like I feel like we all need to just be on the same page what you read in fiction the author is not a proponent of all the things in their book they are not advocating <laughs> right. for you to do all the things in this book oftentimes they're writing about things as a cautionary tale or they're saying don't do this they're showing you a story about what happens if you do this and sometimes the moral of the story is don't do this or sometimes there is no moral of the story and they're just asking questions about culture and about people but authors are not like saying that everything in their books is what you the reader are supposed to now do per their instructions yeah right i think was it i saw a conversation on twitter about this recently i think it was s.a cosby um the author of blacktop wasteland Mm -hmm. was talking about like people reacting to his book and saying like oh well the main character like shouldn't have like committed the crime that kicks off the plot essentially (laughs) (laughs) and he's like uh (laughs) there'd be no plot like what do you (laughs) right yeah I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's like authors don't have a responsibility to write to, to write like morally upright characters who always make the right choices. Like there would be no genre of crime fiction if that happened. And it would it would be a very boring place if all of the crime fiction that existed were, you know, stories of bad guys getting punished mm-hmm. by good like, guys. If it was who were perfect. Right, if it was yeah, if it was that clear cut it would be it would be very dull <clears throat> so it's like it's very silly to act like in order to be a protagonist you have to be like devoid of these negative qualities otherwise it comes off as like the author is supporting bad behavior it's like it, we're telling stories mm-hmm. it's not about supporting the behavior it's nothing to do with that mhm mm-hmm. I do support art crimes and murdering rapists, though. (laughs) I do. It's like, it's also that we're creating a fantasy world. And inside this fantasy world, crimes happen, sex happens, good guys get good things, bad guys get good things. Like, it's a fantasy world. It's fiction. It's not meant to translate into the real world in any way except that some things serve as like an allegory or some things are questions we're asking or points we're making. But... In general, you know, fiction is by nature escapist and we're creating a new place for you to go and live for, you know, however many hours that you're going to read the book, right? Yeah. And I just don't imagine that George R.R. R. Martin <laughs> has to explain that he's not a proponent of like whatever killing dragons. I mean, it's a fantasy world. <laughs> Although, don't get me started on that we're raping those books, but whatever. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes contemporary fiction people forget that it's still a fantasy. It's still not the real world. Yeah, just because something is like realistic doesn't mean that it's we're not we're not describing the perfect world. We're not yeah. saying that this 
the story belongs in the world. It's just like an, an interpretation of the world and an exploration of, of themes and conflict. Yeah. Right. It's like a what if. Yeah. And like that's where all the, the most interesting storytelling comes from anyway is like these weird, dark, tense, conflicted moments between mm-hmm. people. Like <clears throat> anything straightforward doesn't make for a very good story. It makes for a good essay or like a good, yeah. you know, like nonfiction, you know, like that. It's like it's like it's almost like a confusion. But you know what? I think fiction authors get this all the time. The confusion between fiction and reality. It's like, is this which one of these characters is you? You know, which one of these right. characters do you ever like, you know, put real people in your books? And it's like we all, I think that's typical. We all get like people get that confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's like the analysis that we do of our favorite authors. Like, why does he always write about this? You know, mm-hmm. there's this one author that I've read that always writes about coyotes. Like he's clearly very afraid of coyotes. He writes coyotes into <laughs> all these different books. It's really funny. Not wolves, just coyotes. <laughs> so uh, she's too pretty to burn comes out on March 30th. So I think with the time this comes out, it'll be like, the following week so you still have time to pre-order and get wendy's cool prizes and do you have any like well i guess everything's virtual right now but any like fun events coming up yeah so on april fool's day in the evening i'm doing a launch event with my good friend aiden thomas and uh, aiden has lost in the neverwoods coming out a week before my book so go check out lost in the neverwoods and then uh, come to our launch event it's going to be on april fool's day so um we're probably going to be silly and funny and have some fun there. So that'll be a really good time. And I look, I'm, I'm going to miss you guys, but uh, I'll talk to you soon. I think it's so funny that we're like, I'll miss you. And I know I'm going to text you like I know, 40 times 45 a day times. and we have a meeting in less than two hours about something else. <laughs> yeah. Good. Because I need you to uh, write this book for me. Okay. Okay. I will miss you until then, Wendy. Okay. I always miss you. <laughs> I will miss you too, even though we're, I'm not probably going to text you 45 times a day because I don't know how to text. Um, (laughs) I want you to send me a picture every time you get a new pair of glasses. So once a week. Okay. Mm -hmm. Will do. And cat Mm -hmm. pictures. Cat pictures. I would also like the cat pictures. Um, Yeah. So the next, I don't know how many episodes will just be me and Kristen and we might have some fun guest hosts and other people coming up. um, And then we will keep wendy in our hearts well i think we should let them know that you know we're hoping to get this guest host we don't want to say who it is because it's really exciting but we'll see uh hopefully we'll get him that'll be exciting yeah we we cannot reveal yet but perhaps a very exciting guest coming up coming up soon yes all right bye she's too pretty to burn everyone That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is UnlikableFemaleCharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at UnlikableFemaleCharacters. Thanks for listening.